Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Do you see your city and your life through your own eyes or through Jesus's eyes? In the book of Revelation, in about 95 AD, so we're many decades after Jesus has gone back to heaven, there are some churches in an area of Turkey And Jesus writes seven letters to these seven churches through the Apostle John to the angel or the lead preacher or pastor of each church. And he gives a message to them. And the reason he's doing it is so that they can see their lives and see their city and see their church from God's perspective instead of their own. You know, the perspective that we use to look at the world can change everything. I lived in a country where inflation went crazy. It went to thousands of percent of inflation, where prices were changing while you were in the shop. The prices were doubling and changing. And then I came to Europe where people started to freak out if inflation went to 2%. And it changed my perspective because I knew what really bad inflation was like, and I knew that 2% wasn't that bad. Now, you may think it is that bad, and you probably have economic reasons for it. But my point is this, your perspective changes everything. Two people can be living through the same circumstances in the same place. One can see themselves as terribly unlucky, as a victim, and the other one can be grateful and they're in the same situation, and their perspective affects their mood, it affects the way they handle everything, and it really can change your life. And that's why the Bible says, be thankful for everything in all circumstances. Give thanks, give thanks, glorify God, give thanks. Because when we change our perspective, when we see things from God's perspective, it changes us. It's not just Uh, putting on of a different pair of spectacles to see a different shade of the world. No, no, it changes us. And when we look at it from God's point of view, everything is different. I once read a little joke where there was a cat's diary and a dog's diary. And the dog's diary started off and said, woke up this morning, it was the best day in the world. I jumped on my master's bed and he patted me on the head. It was the best day I've ever had. And then he gave me some food. It was the best day I've ever had. And the dog went through the whole day saying it was the greatest day and how much he loved being with the humans. But the cat's diary started off by saying, day 2049 of my captivity. You see, the perspective that they had was completely different. Now, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, we're about to look at the second church that Jesus is writing to. It's a church called Smyrna, a city called Smyrna, which is modern-day Izmir in Turkey. And it starts off, Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. So angel is the word angelos, which is sometimes translated messenger, and we believe that it's the messenger, the the main pastor or leader or preacher of the church, to the leader of the church in Smyrna, right? So Jesus is about to change their perspective. These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. So Jesus starts by introducing himself and asking them to look at him. You see, when we look at God first, 
it changes our perspective. We've already seen that chapter 1 of Revelation is a vision of Jesus. And John the Apostle is standing there. He hears a voice. He turns around. There's trumpet sounds. And he sees this shining Jesus standing in the middle of seven lampstands or shining lights. And he's holding seven shining stars in his hand. And Jesus' face is shining like the sun. And his eyes are shining out like blazing fire. And when John sees Jesus, everything else comes into perspective. You know, when we adjust our eyes to the right light, we can see things correctly. Have you ever walked into a room and it takes a while for your eyes to see correctly? This is what was happening. John was having his vision adjusted and it starts by seeing the glorious Jesus. But what's interesting is that the vision of Jesus in Revelation 1, where he describes all the aspects of his glory, each church in the following seven letters only gets a portion of that same image. Each description of Jesus to each church is a portion of the main description in Revelation 1. Because God reveals himself differently to us based on our needs and our calling from him. And so this church in Smyrna, Jesus starts by saying these things, says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Now that's part of the description in Revelation 1. And what he is emphasizing here are two things. His eternal uh, being, the fact that Jesus is in eternity, he's outside of time. He's the first and the last. You know, time has a beginning and an end. But the Bible speaks of some things that are outside of time. The, the translators of the Bible struggle to translate it. Some versions say before time began, but you can't have a before if there's no time. Some versions say from all eternity. And Jesus says, I am the first and the last. In other words, I'm the one who stands outside of time and I can see the whole thing. His eternal perspective that what we have and see here and now is not all there is. That's the first aspect of Christ that he reveals to this church. And then he says, I was dead and I came to life. And in the description in Revelation 1, he says, and I live forevermore and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So Jesus is, is emphasizing his eternal nature. But secondly, the fact that he conquered death, he rose again. There's nothing in this world, even death, the worst enemy that we can imagine. You know, when we think of the worst tragedy, we think of death. And Jesus says, even that could not defeat him. He overcame death. He is above all. He conquers all. He has taken the sting away from death. Death is not the worst enemy anymore. And Jesus emphasizes this because he's trying to readjust their perspective. And so to you, I would say the first point is you need to get into a church because Jesus is standing in the midst of seven lampstands, which are seven churches. And you need to get into a church that is speaking God's word, God's current word, what God is saying right now. His truth is always true, but the application of it, usually by gifted teachers and preachers, is very important. And God is speaking to you right now. So get into a church because Jesus speaks to the churches, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? And then he gives his perspective. Get your 
adjustments to your glasses. Get your, your perspective right. Start looking at the world from God's perspective. It'll change everything, my friend. You could wake up and be bombarded by the world's messages or by people around you, naysayers, negative people, maybe the thoughts that have just played around in your head for generations. But Jesus comes with a new perspective. The book of Revelation means a revealing, a changing of sight, seeing something from a different perspective. So then Jesus says to this church in Smyrna, and I want to just tell you about Smyrna. Smyrna was a very prosperous church. They called themselves the glory of Asia. You know, cities sometimes like to give themselves a name or a description. And Smyrna in this day called themselves the glory of Asia. They were prosperous. They were beautiful. They had art and culture and wealth. And there was a lot of trade and money and important people in Smyrna. It was a big city. It was a very uh, beautiful place. And Jesus says, I know your works your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Now, this is very surprising because Smyrna was not a poor city. It was a beautiful city. The, the people who lived there were generally very cultured and well off. And Jesus says to the Christians, to the church, I know your works and he says this to every church, I know your works. Jesus knows what you're doing. Those hours of prayer, those times of service that nobody else knows about, those things you do in service to the Lord that are not recognized by the world and which people who are not Christians may call you crazy for doing. Jesus says, I know, I know, I know, I know. And when he says, I know, he means I am intimately interested and involved and a part of what you're doing. And I take a record and I take notice of what you're doing. I know your works, your tribulation. Now, what is the tribulation that he was talking about? The city of Smyrna and many other churches in this area were moving towards worshiping the emperor of Rome, the Caesar, who at this time was a man called Domitian. And this city of Smyrna had gone to the point where they worshiped him as a god. And they required every citizen once a year to come and to pledge worship to Caesar as God. They would burn some incense. They would say, we worship Caesar as God. And if you did that, you would get a certificate saying you were allowed to trade and you were a citizen of, in good standing for that year. But if you didn't do that, which the Christians couldn't do because they worship Jesus, if you didn't do that, you were excluded from trade, from business, you were punished, you were persecuted, you were treated as a bad citizen, and the whole of the city and all of its mechanisms were against you. And Jesus says, I know your tribulation. So in the midst of a city that is beautiful, there is a church that is struggling. And Jesus says, I know your poverty. These people were desperately poor in a wealthy city, desperately poor. They really were struggling to live. But then he says, but you are rich. And suddenly we see an adjustment. Number one, Jesus knows what I'm going through. He's with me in it. But number two, he says, it's not just what's in your wallet or your bank account that counts. You are rich from God's perspective. Now, I don't know about you, 
but I need to be reminded of God's perspective often because I, I stray away from faith into sight. I stray away from knowing what God says is true to thinking what my eyes say is true or what people around me say is true. And Jesus needs to remind us and he gives us his word, but he also gives us the church and preachers and other Christians to help us. You know, if you're not in a body of believers, you will struggle to stay strong and to keep God's perspective on the world. You say, why do I need God's perspective? I'm going to show you at the end why. Because this church in Smyrna is the only one that remained all the way through history and is still strong today. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews but are actually a synagogue of Satan. Jesus not only knows what you're going through, he not only gives you a different perspective, but he knows who's against you and what is against you. And he is protecting you and helping you. He says, I'm intimately aware. Friend, you're not alone. Those things that maybe nobody else even knows about that you're struggling with, those problems, those different uh, issues that you're trying to go through. Jesus knows them. He says, I know them. I know what's going on. These people uh, were Jewish people who were attacking the Christians and saying, we are God's people. And, and Jesus says, no, they're not. Just because they're of Jewish heritage doesn't mean they're my people. You still, even though you are Jewish, you still need to be born again to be part of God's family. The Jews still have a special place in his heart, but only if they believe in Jesus are they saved. And Jesus says to these people that they're, they're not. Don't, don't listen to their, their words of attack and, and mocking and ridicule. Verse 10, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. You see, this is where it's amazing because Jesus is warning them of what's going to come. And this is one of the beautiful things we get in a body of believers in a church. There's the gifts of the Spirit that are operating. Prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, tongues, interpretation, all these different things. And when they're operating, God gives us warning of what's to come. And he prepares us so that we can pray, so that we can get our perspective right, so that we can gird our loins, get ourselves strong for battle. He says, do not fear those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to take you out of this trial, but I'm going to be with you through it and get a different perspective. It's going to be hard, but there is greater reward to come. You see, when we stand back and we look at the big picture, we realize that any trial on this earth is nothing compared to the joy to come or the tragedy of being separated from God forever. And that's why Jesus introduces himself as the first and the last and the one who rose from the dead, because his resurrection is the proof that we need that Jesus can overcome everything and that there is life after death. This world is not all there is. Death is not the ultimate tragedy. He says you're going to have some terrible trial. It's going to be for 10 days. Now, that is a, a picture that we see all the way through the Bible where God says a thousand years are like a day for me. Uh, time is different. Eternity and time, you can't correlate them. And what Jesus is saying here is it's going to be short in the scheme of things. You may think it's a long period of persecution. You may be put in prison for a long time and, and many of you killed over a long period of time. 
But when we get to heaven, it's going to be like the blink of an eye. It'll be so small. It'll be nothing. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Eternal life is what really matters. This life on earth is a mere shadow of eternal life. And then he says in verse 11, the same thing he says to every church. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I've got to be listening all the time to what God is saying. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Not having heard many months ago, hearing every day what God is saying. And it's what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus speaks to churches. Yes, he speaks to individuals, but churches get a message from God and you need to be in one. And then he says, he who overcomes. And again, this is something common to all seven churches. He encourages us to overcome. He says, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. (laughs) There are two deaths. You know, there are two births in the Bible and there are two deaths in the Bible. The first birth is when you're born as a baby. The second birth is when you're born again spiritually. The first death is when you die physically. The second death is separation from God forever. And you don't need to go through all of them. If you are born twice, if you are born physically and born again, you will only die once. If you are born once, if you're only born physically, you will die twice. You will die physically and separation from God. And he says, physical death is not the worst thing that you can go through. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because we have a record. The Bible is a record of God's words, but we also have many, many letters and writings from the first three or four centuries of the church that have been preserved and are available to us. They are letters between Christians. They are writings from the church. They are not the Bible, so they are not inspired by God, but they are historical records. And we have records of people who lived at this time. There was a man called Polycarp who was living in Smyrna in this very city when this letter was written. And he wrote a lot uh, of letters and people wrote about him. And he was a disciple of John who wrote Revelation. They were very close. And Polycarp was killed for his belief in Jesus a few years later. In 155 AD, he was killed. And we have a record, an eyewitness record of Polycarp's death. So this is a man who received this letter. And this is what it said. The proconsul, which is the governing authority, urged him saying, Swear and I will set you free. Reproach Christ. Polycarp declared, 86 years I have served him and he never did me any harm. How then can I blaspheme my king and my saviour? The proconsul then said to him, I have wild beasts at hand. To these I will throw you unless you repent. But he answered, call them then, for we don't repent of what is good in order to adopt what is evil. But again, the proconsul said to him, I will cause you to be consumed by fire, seeing you despise the wild beasts if you will not repent. But Polycarp said, you threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour and after a little is extinguished but you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why are you waiting? Bring forth what you will. This is 86-year-old Polycarp who received this letter 
And this is how he responds to being told, I'm going to kill you unless you turn away from Christ. While he spoke these things and many other like things, he was filled with confidence and joy and his countenance was full of grace so that not merely did it not fall as if troubled by the things said to him, but on the contrary, the proconsul was astonished and sent his herald to proclaim in the midst of the stadium thrice, Polycarp has confessed that he is a Christian. So he's trying to bully him by getting the whole crowd of the city against him. This proclamation having been made by the herald, the whole multitude, both of the heathen and the Jews who dwell at Smyrna, cried out with uncontrollable fury and in a loud voice. So the whole crowd starts shouting with anger at Polycarp. They say, this is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians and the overthrower of our gods. He who has been teaching many not to sacrifice or to worship the gods. Speaking thus, they cried out and besought Philip the Asiarch to let loose a lion upon Polycarp. But Philip answered it was not lawful for him to do so, seeing the shows of the wild beasts were already finished. Then it seemed good to them to cry out with one consent that Polycarp should be burnt alive. The multitude immediately gathered together wood out of the shops around the Jews, especially eagerly assisting them. And when the funeral pile was ready, Polycarp, laying aside all his garments and loosing his girdle, sought also to take off his sandals. Immediately then they surrounded him with those substances which had been prepared for the funeral pile. But when they were about also to fix him with nails, he said, leave me as I am, for he has given he that give, has given me strength to endure the fire will also enable me without your securing me by nails to remain without moving on the pile. They did not nail him then, but simply bound him and he placing his hands behind him and being bound like a distinguished ram taken out of a great flock for sacrifice and prepared to be an acceptable burnt offering unto God, looked up to heaven and prayed with thanksgiving. When he had pronounced his Amen, those who were appointed for the purpose kindled the fire. And as the flame blazed forth in great fury, we, to whom it was given to witness it, beheld a great miracle and have been preserved that we might report to others what then took place. For the fire, shaping itself into the form of an arch, like the sail of a ship when filled with wind, encompassed as by a circle the body of the martyr. And he appeared within, not like flesh which is burnt, but as bread that is baked, or as gold and silver glowing in a furnace. Moreover, we perceived such a sweet odor coming from the pile, as if frankincense or some precious spices had been smoking there. At length, when those wicked men perceived that his body could not be consumed by fire, they commanded the executioner to go near and pierce him through with a dagger. And on his doing this, there came forth a dove and a great quantity of blood, so that the fire was extinguished. And all the people wondered that there should be such a difference between the unbelievers and the elect, of whom this most admirable polycarp was one, having in our own times been an apostolic and prophetic teacher and overseer of the church, which is in Smyrna. Friends, this is what our heritage is as Christians. It's people who see the world from a different perspective. Jesus never promised that he would take us out of all the troubles in the world. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And he writes to churches and he's writing to churches today and speaking to churches through leaders and others. And you need to be in a church because if you don't, you will struggle to get his perspective and you will struggle with the 
trials and tribulations of this world. Now, you and I probably won't face this kind of persecution very soon. We may. But, you know, our brothers and sisters around the world are going through this. There have been more people killed for their Christian faith since 1900 than were killed in all the 1900 years before that. There is tribulation. There is persecution. There is um, enemies of Christianity who try to make it difficult for you to do business. You may not get the promotions. You may be excluded from gatherings or associations or, or whatever. And we need God's perspective. We don't crumble under it. We have the strength of God. Now, I want to tell you that this church, even though it was poor and in tribulation and they were being put in prison and killed, they remained throughout all the years, right up until today, there has never died the church in Smyrna or Izmir. It has never gone away. It remained all the way through. Some of the other cities have had their lampstand removed, as Jesus warned. Many of them don't have a Christian witness today. There are one or two others where there are Christian witnesses, but they came back after having been removed and they were replanted later on. But Smyrna is the only one that remained all the way through. Because when we are under tribulation, but we have God's perspective, a supernatural power comes in. You know, when people sacrifice for Jesus, when people go through hardship and shine Christ, it's because they have his point of view, they have his eyes, but also it releases a power. It's, it's almost like the most powerful kind of prayer. When we sacrifice for Jesus, prayer is released and power is released and something amazing happens. Later on in Revelation, it says that the martyrs who've died for him, those who have suffered for him, are under the altar in heaven. And the altar is where the sacrifice of, of prayer is lifted up. And then Revelation 8 says, then the fire from the altar is thrown back down to earth as the prayers are answered. And there are earthquakes and rumblings and God does great things on the earth. Friend, when we suffer for Christ, it produces great growth. Lord, I pray for my brother or sister that you would help them get into a church, that you would help them get your perspective, but also, Lord, that you would help us to stay strong through whatever tribulations or trials we're going through. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, link up with us at leadinglightsnetwork.com. We would love to pray with you, stand with you, and help you. And let's pray for the persecuted Christians around the world. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.